Ron Ananian. Tony got on the train in Brooklyn, and honest to God, only in, well, not only in New York, some crazy guy was walking the tracks, challenging the train to a bullfight. Yeah, well, the next time, uh, put your clothes on when you do that, would you? Well, I hope anybody <laughs> didn't recognize me. All I want to do is have some fun until the sun comes up over Santa Monica Boulevard. The Car Doctor. That's how I used to set the D-type up, the D-type jacket, just how you said, yeah. Yeah, Hello. just just, just play with it. I mean, you're not going to break it. It's already broken. No. You can't break it anymore. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines. Hello and welcome. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls and answer your questions. Cardoctorshow.com. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor out on Facebook. And if you need me during the week, it's um, Ron at Cardoctorshow.com. Um, I tell you what, I'm, I can't get away from this book by uh, Dr. Richard McCann, Classic Car Adventures. Uh, I've been reading it all week. They, uh, You know, the pictures of the exotics, 35 Duesenberg, a 37 Cord, uh, you know, some of the cars that they talk about, and then American muscle cars, because over in Europe, uh, it's it's the next big thing, right? Um, and, and some of the cars are just, just you, you go, wow, what the heck is that? Like, I don't recognize everything. Um, but I will tell you this, this hour... Uh, Dr. McCann has been uh, generous enough. We're going to be giving away a copy of Classic Car Adventures. You can find it out on Amazon, you know, obviously Amazon.com. Um, just look for Classic Car Adventures, Richard McCann. But we'll be giving away a copy of that uh, this hour. So uh, stick around. Maybe you're the lucky caller. Decision of the judges, Tom and Tony, is final as always. Um, a real quick conversation. Now, you know what? I'll save the conversation for later because the phones are backed up, and uh, Tom will be upset if we don't get some of these calls off the board. Let's go over and talk to Tom. Must be a relative in Wisconsin, 06 Ford Explorer. Tom, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Yeah, Ron, I got a issue. Um, I'm overheating. Um, very intermittent. It'll go up to the extreme hot uh, fairly quickly. Uh, I got a laser temperature um, thermometer. And as soon as it happens, I pull over and I shoot it, and it's like 160. I hit the radiator. I hit the thermostat housing. I hit the block. Um, I don't think it's getting hot. Right. It's, um, it's The gauge is wrong. But it does go right. The gauge goes right to hot. It'll derate. Uh, you know, the uh, it'll, it'll shut everything down. Pull over, and I just shut it off for about two minutes, turn it back on, the gauge is right at normal, and off I go. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and the reason is is because the computer thinks it's overheating, so it's shutting the car down. I would right. I would venture to guess if you looked at this with a scan tool, you would likely see the temperature spike and all of a sudden climb well over 240 degrees. And, you know, it would probably happen Scan very quickly. Tool. Tony's back. It would happen very, very quickly. Uh, you know, it would, be a great, it would be a great thing to see on a graph. What's likely failing here, Tom, is the cylinder head temperature sensor located in the driver's side front corner of the cylinder head, sort of under the intake plenum. You have to, 
Uh, sort of under? Yeah, sort of under. You <laughs> sort of have to take out the alternator to see it. Um, right, it's, right. It's, okay. it's, there's going to be a, um, I believe it's a, is it a one or a two wire? It's the only one coming out the side of the head under okay. under the intake on the left side, if memory serves me correct. And, you know, a lot of failures, very intermittent in nature. Obviously, yep. check the connections. or the connections good or the connections where they're supposed to be? And, you know, sometimes, like Captain Kirk said to Spock, give me your best guess. And, right, right. you know, it's 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 not an expensive component. You know, I'm thinking it's 20 bucks at your local O'Reilly Auto Parts. And, you know, good to go down the road, and, and you know, that should do it for you. Um, you can even probably look it up online, get out to O'ReillyAuto.com, and I'm sure you'll find it on their website. Uh, but you're, right. you're looking for what they call a CHT, or a cylinder head temperature sensor. And that actually is the coolant temp sensor on that vehicle, just to clarify. Okay, I was wondering if that's yeah. separate from the coolant temp No, there, there is no coolant temp. You know, okay, so it is the same thing. You, you wonder what goes through the engineers' minds, right? Like, wh what are they thinking? They get us used to looking for this part. And then right. they, we're not going to use it anymore. We're going to create something totally different. We'll give them this to look for. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. I'm looking for it right next to the thermostat housing, but it's not there. Ah, you're being logical again. Um, <laughs> you got you got to stop it's, this. It's you, underneath the intake. You know, it's it's and you were probably a small block Ford or a small block Chevy guy in high school, I can tell. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. Every time somebody makes that comment to me, I was looking for the temp sensor by the thermostat housing. I know they're an old-school guy, because that's where they always were. And then they finally moved them out to the front of the cylinder head uh, many years later. Um, but, you know, it's 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 just interesting, the things you pick up from people, the comments they make. Um, but in any event, that's where I would start with All this. Good. All I'll right, sir? Right there. So Thanks much. You're very welcome. You have a good rest of the day. So let's go over and talk to Joyce, New Hampshire, 04 Honda Element, and some air conditioning problems. Hey, Joyce, how are we doing? Good. How are you? Good. What's going on? Um, I have a 2004 Honda Element, and the air conditioning always works great, and then one day, it's not cold anymore. Okay. It just blow warm air. The, you know, the day before was great, and the next day, it's just warm air. Then I uh, look on, you know, YouTube and all those stuff, and they ask to check the relay, the air conditioning relay. So I change it to a different relay to make sure it's not the relay. We change it to a different one and still blow warm air, so it's not the relay. Then I was thought maybe it leaked, so I tried to charge it and then, but then then we tried to put the charger charger on and it's like you know like way over in the red, so that means it's not leaking. Right. So the pressure is good. Then then I don't know what else to check now. Well, you know if if and we'll assume a little bit, but if if it's got the correct amount of refrigerant in it, and it's not a relay issue. Uh, it, you know, it could still be an electrical problem, either through empowering the relay or down to the AC compressor. What I would do, if if I'm trying to troubleshoot this, if I don't have access to information, if your mechanic or, or whoever's helping you work on this, if you go down to the AC compressor clutch, you're going to see um, two wires come in out of the harness. One's going to be the ground back to the compressor body itself. The other is going to be the feed going over to the compressor clutch. I would check for hot to the compressor clutch itself. I'd put a voltmeter on it somehow or follow the harness up, tap into the wire somewhere else where it's easier to get to. When you turn the AC on, does the voltmeter show voltage? If the voltmeter, okay. sh if the voltmeter shows voltage and ground is ground, you have to check the ground. 
then, you know, you've got power, you've got ground, it's an electrical device. If the compressor's not kicking on, it's probably a compressor clutch issue, which would not be uncommon on these cars. They, the, the Hondas, the Elements, the Civics, uh, the CRVs, they all tend to beat up compressors, AC compressors. And, you know, you've got to look at the compressor clutch, but I've got to tell you, in the majority of cases, here's a car that's, what, an 04? How many, yes. how many miles are on it? 258. Right. You know, most people are going to do a compressor as a unit. So, oh, um, really? Yeah. It's going to so end the up, compressor clutch is not an easy thing to do. No, it, it, requires, it requires compressor removal. And, you know, at that stage, at this mileage, you know, where are we going? By the time you get it out of the car, you might as well put a compressor in it. But let's and not. How much are we looking for? Like a new compressor? Oh, I bet you a new compressor for that car is seven, eight hundred dollars, as I guess off the top of my head. Okay. I tr I try not to be I try not to be a parts store in my head. I got enough to remember. Um, okay. When it, when it comes to pricing, but I you know check your local O'Reilly Auto Parts, see what they've got. But by all means, let's not just jump the gun and and you know just change a part. Let's diagnose it. Let's see. Do we have power and ground? You know, car components are. It's just like trying to diagnose a bad light bulb. Do you have power? Do you have control at the switch? If you do, then the bulb is bad, but we've got to make sure that we've tested that circuit first. So have, okay. have someone test the circuit. You could also, if they wanted to, go in with a scan tool and look in through the body controller, and when you turn the AC on, does it show the request go from no to yes or on to off or off to on, however they're going to word it? and prove that the command is being given, just the operative isn't being carried out, and then at that point go out and look at voltage too. Um, you know, so there's a bunch of ways to attack this. It's not really complicated or hard to diagnose. It just takes a little thought and some careful looking. All right? Okay, thank you You're so You're very much. welcome. You let me know what happens. You take good care. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's coming back right after this. Little GTO, you really look at Three deuces and a four speed. Need advice on how to maintain that classic GTO? Ron is the guy. 855-560-9900. Here's Ron. You know, I think I really like the chapter Corvette in uh, Richard McCann Classic Car Adventures, the way he writes. I could hardly hear the man shouting at me above the sound of the Beach Boys at maximum volume from the 8-track player. An 8-track player. Remember 8-tracks? And the mighty woofle of his 350 cubic inch V8, the author writes, I was 12 years old and about a mile into a six-mile walk home having missed the bus. In common with most of the kids my age, I'd spent the last eight years of my life hearing the message, never accept lifts from strangers. But surely that warning didn't apply to this stranger. He was young, he was American, he was driving a brand-new Chevrolet Corvette Stingray. I guess that sort of uh, lets the guy off the hook, right? He then goes on to point out how this car was one of the original C3 Mako Sharks, and um, he took him home. The sound of the Beach Boys was too much to talk over. The driver seemed totally disinterested in me, lying back in the bucket seat, the road reflecting in his sunglasses, and the oh-so-long hood of the vet protruding way out in front of me. I sat low, and the heavily curved fenders protruded either side. The sensation of power and speed was intoxicating. He's describing what happened to me. I was 16, walking down uh, one of the dark country roads on the way home at the time from the gas station job I had, and uh, up, up pulled Rick Houck. Rick had. Rick was a legend in, in the area at the time. He had an original 68 427 Tri-Power Vet. All right? I mean, it was the real deal. And, um, hey, Ron, you want to ride? Sure. Jumped in the car. 
I never did 102 miles an hour on that road before and don't think I ever have and don't think I ever will. But in the rush of the dark, 1030 at night, just it was intoxicating, just like Richard McCann writes here. It seemed like seconds before we entered the little town where I lived and we weren't slowing down. Excuse me, I said nothing came out. Hello, I shouted. The driver turned to me. This is it. Yes, sir. Thank you. We pulled over, leaned across because I was too flushed to locate the door catch. I got out still dazed, not wanting this to end. So long, buddy. Tipped his hand, finger to his forehead, just like Steve McQueen. And with that, he was gone. Um, just the description, but you can see it, right? And everybody can remember their first ride in a muscle car. And um, I just love the way he wrote this. So uh, we're giving this copy of this book away this hour. Richard McCann, Classic Car Adventures, great book. Let's go to the phones. Jerry, Watertown, New York, 05 Chrysler Town and Country. How can I help you today, Jerry? What's going on? Uh, hello, Ron. Yes, sir. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, yes, I was I was driving this vehicle a week ago yesterday, and the right half shaft, the right axle shaft, came out of the differential. Ouch. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I was able to put it in reverse a few times, maybe the thing over the road a while, but eventually, of course, I had to have it towed home. Yeah. Um, the outer, the, the pardon me, the outer boot has been broken, but I did not notice any excessive vibration, but possible that's the problem the wears in that outer joint well um if it popped out of the differential i'm more inclined to think that the little clip that was there was yes, was worn is the clip still there i don't know i haven't i haven't taken it out yet i know okay. it's uh it uh, still, still needs attention. Right. You know, sometimes that inner clip, there's just a little circlip or a C-clip, just a spring-loaded round wire clip that sits on the end of that stub shaft. And I've seen more than a few where the, the side gear gets a little bit of wear in it and the axle, you know, it's constantly pounding back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And eventually it just, and it pops it out. Did you lose a lot of, did you lose a lot of fluid? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Definitely, definitely yeah. lost stuff. Uh, Lost a major amount of fluid. Yes, yeah. that was one of the reasons the uh, vehicle wanting transmission won't engage because yeah. I lost so much fluid. How many how many miles on the car, Jerry? It's around it's around a hundred thousand. Yeah, maybe a hundred and two or something like that. I would I would pay real careful attention looking at the axle. Chances are you'll be able to pop it back in, but I bet if you pull hard enough on that on that axle flange just by hand, I bet you can pop it back out again. Um, and and you're sort of obligated to at least try an axle because, listen, it's either the axle or the differential. Which 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 piece do you want to guess? Um, you know, one's one's a hundred bucks or less. The other one is substantially more. And you know, at this mileage now, and that's not to say that the outer joint didn't bind, as you pointed out. Um, didn't bind and somehow pull it out. Maybe you went on a turn left or right and you caught it at the right moment and under the right duress and bang, it popped out. The 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 key will be if it repeats. If it repeats, exactly. yeah. If it repeats, exactly. then you've got to think that it's in the side gear. One note of caution when you when you get the new axle, absolutely yes. positively compress the joints from both ends. Measure the old axle. Measure the new axle. Make sure they're the same length. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Okay. I, 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 I've I, replaced. Go ahead. Pardon me. I've replaced lots of these in the past. But, okay. Uh, I'm very familiar with this vehicle. I've got four of these vehicles, and I can, 
I work on them constantly, but uh, this is the first time I've had one that did yeah. this to me. I've just I've just had Chrysler. Is this the original axle in the car? Do you know? I don't think so. No, I don't think it's the original one. No. How, how long you think it's been in there? How long have you been driving it? Um, oh, I bought this vehicle with sixty three thousand, but I can't remember exactly. So honestly, it's, uh, it's four or five years. Replaced when I replace that shaft. Yeah, I, I really don't know. It's it's four or five years it's in there. It's not like you just did this two weeks ago. Not two weeks ago, no. The front okay. end was aligned about two weeks before this happened, but and I replaced uh, earlier the lower front uh, engine mount, but I, I thought maybe the suspension possibly was shifting on it some way, but hopefully not that tragically. Yeah, I can't see that. I, I've never seen that, and I don't. I don't see how it could. Something would have to physically be loose or or completely wiped out because that's a heck of a distance and a lot of load. And I would think you would have noticed um, a, a great deal of change in the handling characteristics of the vehicle. So I'm going to lean more towards the axle and the clip itself. You may find the end of the axle is broken, or you may find the clip is missing, which means it's inside the differential itself. It, it'll end up getting chewed up, and you know the, you can fish around in there with a magnet to see if you can get it out. But I'm going to lean more on the axle than uh, than I do the the vehicle. Hey Jerry, I'll tell you what. Stay on the line. Tom Ray says you're the guy. Richard McCann, Classic Car Adventures, Old Car Tales from Enthusiasts, Anglias Bentleys, Bugatti, Bugatti, B-U-G-A-T-T-I-S, Bugattis, and Cortinas, and many more. It's going to be coming your way via Amazon.com. Let Tom get your information, mailing address and all that good stuff, and uh, we'll be glad to send that out to you. All right, sir? Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. You're very, you're very welcome. Kind of ease your pain a little bit, but I have, to, I have to let you know right up front, there's no 05 Chrysler Town and Countries in this book. Um, they, 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 they don't rate okay. those. Um, uh, but uh, some of the other stuff, it's, it's, it's good uh, evening reading with a, with, a, with a cup of coffee and uh, just you know, trying to escape back to a time that no longer exists. So... Um, Thank you kindly. We'll, we'll get that out to you. We'll have Dr. Or Richard McCann send that out to you vis-a-vis Amazon. All right. But take a look at the axle. Um, measure it. Make sure it's fully, you know, compressed when you do it. And, you know, measure it up. And just because I've seen Chrysler. Chrysler likes to play games with axles. And I've seen in the, the axle manufacturers where they'll tell you this is it and it's not. Um, as long as what you take out is what you put in lengthwise, you're good. If it's not... I don't want you to have a bigger problem uh, somewhere else down the line, and uh, you know that creates an issue. So, good luck to you, Jerry. Let me know what happens. Stay on the line for Tom. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. I'm Ron Anning, the Car Doctor. I'll be back right after this. Don't go away. When the family car needs some fixing, there's only two things that really matter, getting the right part and getting some good advice. It's a pretty safe bet that with over a million parts in stock, Pep Boys has the right part right now. The Pep Boys pros are extensively trained to find the right part for just about any car or truck. Better yet, these pros can also handle the entire installation or service needed. It's always good to have options and know the Pep Boys pros have it covered either way. 
Welcome back. Brian Lane, the car doctor. 855-560-9900, cardoctorshow.com. I should point out, if I haven't yet this hour, the 855-560-9900 is 24-7. You can call that anytime, day or night. Leave a message. And, you know, Tom Ray, executive producer, chief cook and bottle washer, will call you back and get you in the next live broadcast as we are live on the network Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. And, um, you know, we can kind of go from there. A thought just popped into my head. I don't know why, but I'm wondering if anybody can call in from the Carolinas, maybe. I'm, they have electricity. I'm, wonder, I'm wondering how the roads are down there. I've been talking to a bunch of people this week. They're getting ready to take some road trips down I-40 and, um, you know, uh, floods and whatnot. Uh, yes, Mr. Ray. I'm heading in that direction on uh, Monday, and uh, what I've been told is uh, if you're heading east of Raleigh on I-40, you're going to have problems. There are parts that are washed out. Hmm. Amazing. So, uh, yeah. And I did talk to uh, a company called Wheatstone Corporation that makes broadcast equipment. They're located in New Bern, right on the water. Uh, luckily, they're in a high place, but um, here's a sobering thought for you. About 50% of the people who work there have no place to go home to. Wow. They lost their homes. Wow. So That's crazy. That's crazy. Uh, someone I know is on their way to the Outer Banks this week, and she was talking to me and asking me, you know, what the I said, I, gee, I don't know. I also did caution her because she's going to take the, Chesape the, the Chesapeake Bay Bridge. I hate that bridge. I, I can't, you know, that bridge, you know, the Chesapeake Bay Bridge is 27 miles across. Did you know this? That's the one that's in uh, that between Virginia and Maryland, yeah. correct? Yeah, yeah. That, that one's probably okay. But but yeah, it, it it's it's an interesting thing because you you have what three bridges and two tunnels you go through on right. that. Right. And my problem is if you're halfway across and the bridge falls down, you're 13 miles from shore. Exactly. It's like I, I mean, it's amazing because you're out there on the road and you look over and it's you and the ocean. Right. There's, I mean, there's not much there. You're not swimming that baby. You're 13 miles from land. Ah, uh, boggles my mind. And I've I've done it twice and I don't I don't care for it. I just not for me. Um, I want to take New Jersey Division of Motor Vehicles to task and you if you happen to do this. All right. First, New Jersey Division of Motor Vehicles. They about a year ago is the way it's explained to me. They've they've changed the inspection policy in New Jersey in that when we do motor vehicle inspections, they want us to physically check, which, OK, I get it. Is it there? And click the gas cap. Click, click, click. During the course of inspection. I don't know why they want us to do this. If there was a problem with the evaporative emission system, the dreaded gas cap light, as everybody calls it, there would be a pending code or a check engine light lit. I'm not sure what the logic is. And personally, I agree with the trainers that tell you don't touch the gas cap in the course of a diagnosis because you're trying to verify system integrity. How well is the system sealed? Now, you, you the vehicle owner, check engine light comes on. Show of hands mentally, how many of you run out there, the first thing you do is you check the gas cap, you turn it, click, 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 and the light stays on. And then you call the mechanic and you say, hey, you know, my check engine light came on. I tried turning the gas cap. It didn't turn it out, first of all, all right? Besides, it's wrong to turn the gas cap. Don't touch the gas cap. Do yourself and your mechanic a favor, and I'll tell you why in a minute. If you touch the gas cap and it happened to be loose, and it's set in evaporative emissions fault for a loose gas cap. The light doesn't go out automatically, folks. It's, it's, it's not like click the cap, tighten the cap, and you know start the car up and the light's out. It takes a series of self-tests, 
and running through very specific under exact conditions monitoring in order for the code to reset. It has to happen. It has to run its monitors two to three times depending upon your make and model of vehicle. You touching the gas cap, if you did happen to fix it, now creates the condition where, okay, the light didn't go out. Let me call my mechanic and take it into him. You bring it into Ron. Ron looks at it and goes, hey, Tom, the uh, you know it's got a P0456, small EVAP leak. Uh, it could be the gas cap. It could be a vent hose. It could be a purge. It could be anything leaking. But I really don't know. There's, there's, there's nothing here. Everything appears good. Not knowing that you inadvertently fixed it because you tightened the cap. Tightening and touching the gas cap, whether you're doing the New Jersey Motor Vehicle Inspection or trying to avoid the trip to the repair shop, you know what? You're doing yourself a large disservice because the mechanic won't be able to properly diagnose it. It makes his job harder, which in reality translates to more expensive for you. If the cap is off, the attendant forgot to put the cap on, that's a different story. If the cap is visibly loose, that's a different story. When you touch the gas cap, be gentle. Just, you know, don't don't twist it like you're like you're trying to break walnuts. Be gentle with it and see if it gets to the first click. But even touching it that much can can rock the apple cart. And the logic is, and I, I've said this, I had the motor vehicle in, in this week and I was talking to them about it. You know, the logic is the car is smart enough that it will run its monitor. If there was a problem with the EVAP system or the gas cap, it would be it would turn on the check engine light. You would see the fault displayed. Touching a gas cap for a check engine light defies every evaporative emissions class and instructor I've ever taken, and I've taken a few. Um, this ain't my first day at the rodeo, as they say. And you're only creating a bigger problem for yourself. Obvious is, okay, I get it. Obvious isn't. Stay away from the cap, and I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there. Um, real quick piece coming to us from the Car Care Council. And this is also in line with the inspection program. Spected a car this week that had three bald tires and a uh, brake light that was out. And the answer I got from the customer, I had to inspect the car, so I inspected it. It was, it was, it was a drop-in, and I inspected it. And I said, by the way, you know, you've got three out of the four tires are just about down to the tread bar, and it needs a left rear brake. I'm sorry, center high-mounted high uh, brake light, the third brake light, as we call it. And the answer was, well, I don't need the tires right now. I'll wait until the snow comes. And I'm looking at the calendar going, it's September. Um, okay. And I don't need a third brake light because the other two are working and my car before this didn't have a third brake light. I didn't get a ticket for it, and that was okay. All righty then. If the car's got a third brake light, it needs to be fixed. It needs to be working. From the Car Care Council, many drivers may feel, and then I saw this, and I said, boy, this is absolutely right. Bethesda, Maryland. Many drivers feel that they don't have the time or money to address vehicle repairs immediately, but beware that ignoring some repairs can get you pulled over and ticketed, says the Car Care Council. Ignoring certain vehicle repairs may seem to save money in the short term, but can lead to extra costs, such as fines or fix-it tickets, if these problems are not taken care of when they arise, said Rich White, Executive Director of Car Care Council. In some jurisdictions, car owners may even lose their licenses for certain violations. A few dollars spent on simple vehicle repairs can help avoid trouble with the law. Um, you know, you've got to realize, in states, and I can tell you this from my experience in New Jersey, but in other states where they've taken away safety as a requirement. New Jersey, there's no safety uh, inspection if, on a non-commercial vehicle. It's check engine light on? No. Check engine light works? Yes, you're done. Um, yeah, the car passes inspection. Driver's license, odometer, and some other basic things notwithstanding. 
But the issue becomes that even though it's not part of inspection, it is still part of required by law failure to maintain is the title of the ticket. You get a failure to maintain ticket in New Jersey, currently 175 bucks on, on most components. So you're going to have to fix it and pay the fine. Um, you want to make sure that you uh, um, you want to make sure that you you know get this taken care of and uh, um, do the maintenance now. It's 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 better for you in the long run. More information at carcare.org. 855-560-9900. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor coming back right after this. Don't go away. Whether it's a little red Corvette or a Yugo, you've come to the right place to get that car fixed. Ron and Amy and the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. Now, back to Ron. I'm continuing my read on the Right to Repair Act with the John Deere tractors. And you can find it online. Google uh, John Deere John Deere tractors, uh, Right to Repair Act 2018. There's a paragraph in here that um, talks about the National Grange, which is the, the, the organization supporting the, the need for right to repair, meaning allowing people, if you own it, you should be allowed to have information and access to properly repair it in terms of a farm tractor. And I agree in terms of an automobile. It's, it becomes a necessity. It becomes a matter of national security. Um, in addition, National Grange says, we believe that in the absence of the Right to Repair Act, Many individuals, both rural and urban, would likely put off important vehicle repairs and maintenance, jeopardizing their safety and the safety of others on the road. I have to agree with that. When New Jersey did away with uh, safety, and all my New Jersey listeners can attest to this, how many cars do you sit behind that have one brake light, two brake lights, missing a brake light altogether, uh, or missing all the brake lights altogether, uh, headlights that are out, cracked windshields, loud exhaust, rusted body panels. We're, we're, it's, it's like it's just the, the, the state has gone downhill in terms of the junk on the road. And it's just not good. People are not doing the maintenance that they need to do. It's also important, the article continues, to note that our members often farm and ranch in remote locations where repair shops are just not available. Days waiting on parts from dealers can mean missing crop target pricing, costing our members in agriculture a great deal of revenue. And who do you think is going to pay for this in the long run? Because if all of a sudden the farmers are having a hard time surviving, isn't it a likely consideration the government is then going to assist the farmers to keep them going? And who do you think is going to end up paying for it? The taxpayer, because they'll have to raise our taxes in order to feed the farmer to get him going because he can't fix his tractor. I, I know it's a stretch, folks. I know it's... But you've got to, you know, you've got to start to look down the road and see the pieces before they become the accident. Uh, you know, right to repair is a necessary form of enforcement to allow everybody equal and uh, the chance to repair what they own. Look, there's no way, and I don't understand the greed part, although I guess greed is, you know, human nature. I know a few people like that, that you need independent repair facilities, tractor, truck automobile and you need dealership tractor truck automobile repair facilities there there's there's more than enough work for everybody to deal with but trying to lock it down and control it um doesn't make any sense to me it's 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 only going to create a bigger issue um i can tell you this i see a lot of people hey your check engine lights on yeah but the car runs all right um you know it's it's it doesn't seem to be affecting it so do i really need to fix it yeah you kind of do and, you know, here's why. You got a vehicle with a check engine light on. I'll talk cars. I know a little bit about this. 
you got a vehicle with a check engine light on. And you scan it, and it's a P052B. I had this problem just this week, a 2012, 20, I'm sorry, 2015 Nissan Rogue with a P052B intake cam solenoid timing circuit failure. Whew. Say that three times fast. Turns out it was an intermittent fault. All right. The customer was like, well, let me just drive it. The check engine light pops on. The car doesn't change the way it runs. It still runs okay. And his mindset was, I don't need to do anything. And I, you know, I explained to him the ramifications like I'm about to explain to you. You don't fix this cam timing solenoid circuit fault. Okay, check engine lights on. Six months from now, something else goes wrong. And you don't fix that because you don't know the difference. The check engine light is still on and it's still the same brilliance. It doesn't, it doesn't change color and it doesn't increase luminosity. It just stays on. A year goes by. Now you decide to get it fixed. You figure out that it's a cam timing solenoid. You change that. Clear the code. But the secondary code that was created six months later just because of age has to be dealt with too. And then here's the kicker. Cars today have blocker uh, have a blocker mentality. After so many fault codes in so many areas, it stops testing components and starts to substitute known good values. So if component A fails and they can, you know, make the vehicle run without having to return to the repair shop on software calculation, they'll do that. But the problem is, if you ever want to get that vehicle repaired to sell it, if you ever want to get that vehicle repaired because it has to go through a state inspection somewhere, if you ever want to take that vehicle on a long trip, where's your concern and what's the liability and reliability factor? So you got to fix the car. Right to repair is a necessary um, uh, uh, concept that we need, and um, it's something that we really should create. Call your call your local legislators. Talk to them about right to repair as it affects all of us. 855-560-9900. Ron and Ian, the car doctor, coming back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Ian, the car doctor. Um, a real quick, real fix, sure track fix from the folks over at Mitchell One, MitchellOne.com. You would think malfunctioning park light would be an easy fix. You would think so, right? Bad bulb, something like that. But the problem is, not if someone else got there first and installed the wrong part. SureTrack community member Elcar had a Lincoln MKZ where the left park light didn't work. They posed the question to the community, and with their help, they were able to resolve the issue. And the fix actually reinforces the importance of installing the correct electronic parts on today's vehicles. Vehicle in question today is a 2013 Lincoln MKZ with a 3.7-liter engine. No left park light operation. Installed correct Headlight assembly was the fix, is the title. And the complaint was no left front park light operation. And the cause, the problem is the variety of the light assemblies. You ready for this? How many light assembly variations do you think there are in a 2013 Lincoln MKZ? Three. You can have lights with signature, without signature, or decontented lighting. I think decontented lighting is what Tony is when the Giants lose. Whether decontented always means without signatures or not, I don't know. Decontented has yellow park lamps and six terminals in the park lamp housing. Non-decontented have white LED park lamps with 12 terminals. There's no information for decontented lights in the service manual or from Ford. See, this is typical of what manufacturers do. They put parts on cars and then nobody knows what they're from or how to diagnose them because the manufacturer doesn't include information. Um, let me see. I lost my place. There's no information. They use the same circuit as the turn signal, one and two and connector 
1023 to operate the park lamp. This particular person had decontented lights. If you replace the headlight on a car with the lighting, he says, he points out, you have to buy a second ballast that's updated, saying without signature lighting, giving the VIN numbers and enough on a vehicle that also has the yellow park lamps that goes for multiple parts departments. Note in their computer information, they will also be overlooked. I verified there's no park lamp data PID or in either system. Thanks again for looking into me. So basically what he's saying is, he had this 2013 Lincoln MKZ and then found out after the fact that the body shop up the street had recently installed a new headlamp as part of an accident repair. They installed the wrong one and it didn't work. So sometimes fixing a car, you've got to be a little bit of a detective where you've got to be a lot of a detective. Go backwards and find out, okay, did anybody else work on it and from where and what parts did they put in it? That's from the folks at Mitchell One, MitchellOne.com. This week's Sure Track Fix of the Week. I'm Ron Anini in the Car Doctor. Till the next time, good mechanics aren't expensive, they're priceless. See ya.